It is so good to be here with you. If you would, take a copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 3. The book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 3. And uh, I want to I welcome you. I want to welcome our visitors this Easter morning. We're so glad to, to have you here. Uh, I want you to know a, a couple of things about our church. We, uh, we love Jesus. Uh, this is Resurrection Sunday, but honestly, um, it's not a huge deal here because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Amen? And so uh, while we do appreciate you coming and, and visiting with us, just know that, that if you love Easter, every Sunday's Easter here. Uh, <laughs> more than that, I want you to know that we have prayed for you, and uh, we love you, we love each other, we love the Lord, and we love God's Word. And so this morning, what I would like to do is to share with you from God's Word here in Acts chapter 3, we as a church um, most of the time, go verse by verse through the Bible, trying to understand and see the Bible in its context and, and what it means to us. And we have been going for quite some time now through the book of Acts, and we're much further than this verse. But we're, I want to back up this morning because I wanted to think about some of these texts that we've come across in Acts that relate to the resurrection and, and relate to uh, how we should understand the resurrection. Because the, the resurrection is not an isolated event from the rest of Scripture. Sometimes we, we think about the resurrection as though it's, it's isolated, it's a special thing. There's a, a clip from a, from a well-known uh, evangelical Christian pastor that you might have seen in the last few weeks going around where he basically says, don't worry about the Bible, don't worry about the Old Testament, just, just show people that the resurrection is true and, and that the resurrection is verifiable. And the problem is, is if you have just the resurrection without the Bible, then you don't understand why the resurrection matters. Does that make sense? And so this morning, I want us to look at a passage that explains to us why the resurrection matters. Why is it that matters? Why should we follow the risen Christ? And, and that's a good question. For, for many of you, you, you follow the risen Christ because perhaps you inherited a, a Christian heritage. You grew up in a home with faithful believers and you've never even really thought about not following Jesus. Some of you perhaps grew up in that and, and did like many, and, and, and you went through a season where you uh, left the faith, you left the Lord, you tried to figure out things on your own, and, and what you found is, is that, that God used that heritage that you had and people praying for you and, and the gospel that was proclaimed to you for all those years, and you hit a point in your life where you realized, I need to follow Jesus. And I'm not so naive to think that there aren't some here this morning that, that are here or, or hearing online or hearing through the radio and, and you've never really followed Jesus. You don't have that kind of heritage. More and more, we as the church need to be uh, mindful that we can't just assume that everybody grew up in church going to VBS. And so this morning, I, I want you to think about this. Why, why follow the risen Christ? And Easter poses this question for us every year. Easter is a time where we, we celebrate and we come together, and it, and it poses a question, the same question, really, that, that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Christ is? And so this morning, by God's grace, my prayer and my hope is that as I show you from God's word, 
uh, an event that took place and, and preaching from the apostles that took place, that it will tie together and, and show before you the claims of Jesus. The claims of Jesus, not just from Jesus, but that go throughout all of the Bible. For Jesus is proclaimed early on. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sin, from that very day, God makes a promise of one that will come from the seed of the woman, who Satan, the serpent, will crush his heel and he will crush his skull. And that's a symbol and a picture of what we see throughout the Bible that eventually is revealed to Jesus. And so I want to share with you today why follow the risen Christ. We follow the risen Christ because he makes the claim and the Bible makes the claim and God makes the claim that he is Lord. And so I want to see that today as we look through this passage, just to give you a little bit of background where you find this. Uh, Jesus has been taken up into heaven. He was, he, he, Easter happened. Good Friday happened. Not long before this, Jesus was, was crucified, and he died, and he rose again. And then Jesus spent 40 days teaching his apostles and his disciples. He spent 40 days uh, showing them from all of the scriptures how all the scriptures reveal him and, and who he is. And then he told them to wait in Jerusalem for 10 days. He didn't, they didn't know it was 10 days, but he said, wait here and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And then 10 days later, we have the event of Pentecost. And at Pentecost, we have the early church as it, it begins to take off. And on that day of Pentecost, Peter, who's kind of the, the head of the, the apostles, he stands up. And he preaches a, a beautiful sermon on the day of Pentecost to all of these people that are gathered around from all different places. And it says that 3,000 individuals placed their faith in Jesus Christ that day. The, the church was born. And we don't go very long from that until we come to our text here. In fact, it, it's maybe a matter of days, maybe just a couple of weeks. We're not sure the timeline, but that early church begins to gather. And part of what they do is they regularly go to the temple and they pray together. And one day as they're going to the temple, what we come to here in, in Acts chapter 3 is they're on the way to the temple. And there's a man who for many years has been lame. He's not able to walk. And, and he's known by everyone in Jerusalem as they go to the temple because he's there every day asking, begging for money that he might be able to suffice. And they come to him and, and Peter and John, they're going into the temple and he, and he asks them as he asks Everyone, as they're coming in, if they would be able to share something with him so that he could eat. And they look to him and they say, silver and gold we have not, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And instantly this man, who everyone knew, he was able to stand and he was able to walk and he was able to leap and he was able to run. And it was a testament to the power of God through these men and, and what they were doing and what they believed. And, and ultimately, as we'll see in this text, it's a, it's a testament to who Jesus is. And so we pick up here, if you want, let me read and you can follow along in verse chapter 11. Everybody's amazed at this man who they knew and now they see him walking. What happened? Right? What What happened? And here is the explanation and the message then that Peter shares in what is his second sermon that we have recorded in the Bible. Verse 11, 
while he clung to Peter, this is the man that, that was lame, that everyone knew. He's standing there right next to him as he's, he's clung to him. So everybody can see him and see him standing and well. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people were utterly astounded. Jaw drop. They ran together to them, to the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people and he said, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, who you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. And then he decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see now. And the faith that is through Jesus has been given the man this perfect health in the presence of all of you. Verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring of all things, but about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to all those that came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now, I know that passage might seem a, a little complicated, that passage was delivered to men in the nation of Israel, people who were uh, very stooped in the old covenant and in the, the, the practice of the law. But I want to share with you this morning kind of the heart of what Peter is saying in the progression of this. And there's three statements, three very bold statements that I want to make that Peter makes here. Three statements that answer to us why follow the risen Christ. Why follow the risen Christ? The first statement is this. Christ alone is Lord. Christ alone is Lord. Now, we often say that. We often would say Jesus is Lord. But the reality of it is, is that in our day and our time, we, we've kind of lost the meaning of what it means to call a person Lord. Right? Right? We, we live in America. Um, it, it's astounding to see, but uh, with this, over, over this last week, uh, a former president was taken to a courtroom. Now, now, the reality of it is, is that throughout the history of the world, 
throughout many nations today, that could, you'd never see that because they were ruled by a king. And that king was Lord, and that king had uh, absolute authority. Do you understand that? And so for our mindset, sometimes we need to stop and we need to think about what it means that we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. What it means to proclaim that Jesus is Lord is that you recognize the sovereign authority of Jesus as ruler. Not only do you recognize it, I mean, there are other kings throughout the world even today, right? Uh, there are, you could look at an individual and say, you are the king of this nation. But that doesn't mean that you follow that king. That doesn't mean that you're placed under the authority and the headship of that king. But to say that Jesus is my Lord, now that's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? What we've said is we acknowledge who you are, we acknowledge the authority that you have, we acknowledge your sovereignty, and I, because of who you are, wish to place myself under your rule. So when I say that the first point that we need to realize why to follow Jesus, because Jesus is Lord. He's not Lord of one kingdom, he's not Lord of one nation, he's not Lord of one place, he is King of kings and Lord of lords over all. Amen? And this is what Peter's sermon reveals to us. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is the one that is prophesied of the Old Testament. And it's not just because Christ says that. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's a very bold claim about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. That he alone is the way. He alone is the life. He alone is the truth. And through him alone can you come to the Father. Jesus makes that claim, but more than that, God verifies the claims of Jesus. That's what the resurrection is. That, 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 that's what the resurrection is. The resurrection, the reason why we love the resurrection, the reason why we celebrate the resurrection is as Christ's people, as Christ's followers, of those who acknowledge all that he said and all that he did, the resurrection, what it means to us is that it is the proof that God accepted it. It is the proof that everything that Jesus said was true. It is the proof that everything that Jesus did, the reason why he did it, meant what he said. There's all kinds of people in graves throughout the world that made huge claims spiritually. Muslim will go to Mecca. They will go to see the grave of Muhammad. As Christians, there's no such pilgrimage for us. We can go and see an empty tomb, but there's no body. Why? Because God raised Christ from the dead. And the Bible will go on to tell that this wasn't an isolated event. It wasn't just that a few people saw it. No, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians and says that, that Jesus appeared to over 500 people who at that day were still alive. Which means, if you wonder, go ask them. They'll tell you. The resurrection is God's seal of approval that everything that Jesus did was right. That everything that Jesus did was good. And that God has exalted Jesus. Not only does he do that in the resurrection, but he does that in the power that follows. And that's what Peter's point here is. Jesus is Lord. How do we know it? Well, because God has exalted him. Look at verse 12 here of chapter 3. At verse 12, they, they look at Peter, they're astonished. How did this happen? 
right? Verse 12 says, and, and Peter saw it, and he addressed the people. He said, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, our, our religiosity, we have made him walk. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. How was this man able to walk? In the name of Jesus, they said. Not, not by their own power. And, and here's the reality of it. I, I, I don't have any power to save you. I, it's not because I, I'm a really good speaker or I'm not or I serve you in some way. That, that alone, that won't save you. It is the power of believing in Jesus because Jesus is Lord. And so God here, it says he, he anointed Jesus. It was God who glorified the name of Jesus, verse 16. And in the same way, God will save anyone, in the same way that he saved this man, that this man came to faith, this man came to walk, because God revealed to his heart who Jesus was through his son, because Jesus is Lord Ephesians 1 is a, is a wonderful passage. It's one of my favorite passages. There is, I think, seven verses in, in the English Bible that in the Greek are one sentence. Paul gets so excited about Jesus that he creates this incredible run-on sentence. And if your grammar is anything like mine, that inspires you. Um, because I'll get excited and start typing stuff, and then it, it takes a long time to figure it out. This, this is what Paul gets excited about. Ephesians 1, let, let me read 19 to 23. According to the working of God, God's great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion. And he put every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. He put all things under his feet. He gave him head of all things, including the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. For all times, for all peoples. You read through the Old Testament, through the covenants. One of the important covenants is a covenant that's made to David. God comes to David, the king of Israel, and he, he makes, a, he makes a, a point to him and he says, from you is going to come one whose kingdom will never end. Now, that's a very interesting statement, isn't it? His kingdom will never end. Fast forward that. Years and years and years through the Bible. And Jesus is born. Remember those genealogies when you open Luke and you open Matthew and you're like, why are they talking about all these people? Why, why is it the family tree? Because they start by showing that Jesus comes from David. Because he fulfills that. And so the Bible is rich that, that God would appoint a Christ. God would appoint an anointed one. God would appoint a Messiah. It would come from the line of David, and it is Jesus. And, and Jesus went to the cross, and he made a sacrifice for our sins. And it was accepted, and it was approved by God. And God raised him from the dead as proof. And Jesus will come again. 
And when he comes again, he will establish his kingdom forever. When he comes again, the waiting period will be over and we will stand before him, every one. The Bible tells us at that time, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus alone is Lord not only do we see that God exalted Jesus, but, but think about the titles of Jesus. This, this passage is full of, of rich titles about who Jesus is, about the names of Jesus that, and what they signify and what they represent. First of all, just the name Jesus. The name Jesus means Joshua. It means Yahweh saves. God saves. Yahweh is the name of God that he revealed to himself to Moses at the burning bush. God saves it was told of jesus the angel came and said that she shall name him jesus because he will save his people from their sins and that's what jesus did by his very name he is savior peter refers to him here as the servant the servant of the god of abraham isaac and jacob verse 13 the reality of it is john uh, 1045 tells us Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. Jesus was a servant. People served Jesus, but Jesus didn't sit back and demand that he just be served. He served us. He, he served uh, the, the disciples. He served us by going to the cross. The very night that Jesus was arrested, he began that night by taking the apostles and washing their feet. He was God's servant. It says here also in verse 15 that he was the author of life, or your version might say the prince of life. That, 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 that he was the leader and the originator. The Bible tells us that at creation Jesus is present. All things were created through him. It also, of course, tells us that he is, he is the author and the creator of spiritual life, of eternal life, of the promise that he gives. He, he says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who, believes, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he looks to Martha, as you could say, he looks to you. When that verse is read, and he says, do you believe this? Who do you say that I am? Peter says that he's God's Christ appointed to you. Verses uh, 13, 18 and 20. Again, Christ, Messiah, anointed one. All of these are, are Old Testament pictures that the prophets gave of the one who God was going to send the one who, who was the anointed one of God, the, the one who was going to establish the new covenant, the one who was going to deliver, the one who was going to redeem, the, the one to who everyone looked forward to, it was Jesus, God's Christ, God's anointed one. Peter shows in verse 22 that Jesus is the prophet who Moses said is going to come and listen to him. The great Moses of Israel said, there's a, a prophet coming, a, a greater one who than I am. Listen to him. Jesus. Jesus is the seed of Abraham through, all the, through who all the nations will be blessed. Verse 25, all the way back when God established the old covenant, 
And he chose one man from all the earth, Abraham, and he, he gave him this incredible promise that he would have a people and that he would have a place and that he would have God's protection. Whoever uh, blessed him would be blessed. Whoever cursed him would be blessed. He also in that said, through you, through this one childless old man, all of the nations will be blessed. Uh, that's an astounding claim, isn't it? And yet, as you read through the story of the Old Testament into the New Testament, you see that Jesus is that fulfillment. Why follow Jesus? Why follow the risen Christ? You, you can't isolate the Bible from it. You can't just say the evidence proves that Jesus raised from the dead. The evidence does prove that Jesus raised from the dead. But, but when you go back and you, you look at the Bible, the Bible proves that Jesus rose from the dead. It wasn't a, an event that just happened. It was God's plan from the foundation of the world, Ephesians tells us, that he would send his son for you. That as we see just in this one sermon alone, why follow the risen Christ? Because he's the exalted Savior and Lord. He's Jesus. He's God's servant. He's the holy and righteous one, the prince of life, the Christ, the prophet, the seed of Abraham. Jesus alone is Lord. There's another statement that I want to make from this sermon here in Acts chapter 3, and it's this. Jesus is Redeemer. Jesus alone is Redeemer. Now, it would be one thing for Christ just to be Lord. It would be one thing, and, and he, would, his, he would be due the honor and worship alone just on who he is. But you see, the, the heart of Christ and the purpose of Christ and why Christ came and why God uh, uh, positioned Christ as Lord of all is because Christ came not only to be exalted, but Christ came first to redeem. Christ came to redeem. It, Peter is not a, sugar, a sugary preacher, right? Some people like their ears tickled. Right? Some, people like, you know, some people don't like me because I can be a little, a little bold about things. I can step on toes. Well, Peter's, Peter stomps on toes, okay? You think I step on toes? He, he says stick them out and he just crushes them. All right? <laughs> Look with me here at verse 13. <laughs> he says, this man, God raised him from the dead. God healed him. Through Christ, through the name of Christ, through who Christ is. And then look what he says. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at this as though by our power or our pity we made him walk? Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> who you delivered over. But he ain't done. When he decided to release him, you denied the holy and righteous one. And you asked for a murderer. But he ain't done. Verse 15. And you killed the author of life who God raised from the dead. He stomped on him, didn't he? <laughs> How was this man healed? By Jesus. You remember Jesus? The guy who a few weeks ago you were yelling, crucify? You remember that? The one who, who you judged to be put to death? Who you killed? He healed him. He's God's redeemer. Do, do you see the sense of guilt that Peter shows? 
in our day, in our age, we, we, we are so, we're, we're so uh, concerned about our emotional stability as individuals that there are feelings that God gave us. God, God created us with feelings. Amen? Okay? So you experience joy, right? Everybody smile, right? God gives you that. God has joy in us. You experience sorrow and your heart hurts. Well, that's a feeling that God gave. That's not a bad thing. Depression in itself, sometimes depression is caused because of our sin and our guilt and bad things. And God has given that to us in a way that, that, that we can say, oh, something's wrong. Guilt. Our society today wants to tell you there is nothing that you should feel guilty about. There's nothing that you should feel guilty about. Except maybe if you murder somebody, right, then you should feel guilty about that. But the reality of it is, is our society today tries so hard to say, you shouldn't feel guilt. You just be the authentic you that people don't understand. Friends, God created this sense of guilt for us to experience. And Peter explains how guilt is a good thing. <laughs> that basically, that to know that, that you killed Christ, to know that your sin put Christ on the cross. You might say, well, I wasn't there. I didn't cry out crucify. This doesn't apply to me. One of my favorite preachers from the late 1800s, early 1900s, Charles Spurgeon, he, he said this, every sin in essence kills God. Every sin put Jesus on the cross. And because Jesus went to the cross to pay for your sin, your sins put Christ there. We all should have a sense of guilt when Peter says, you murdered the Holy One. Because it was our sins that put him on the cross. This is what we call the bad news. The bad news is we are sinners. Our, our sin, our disobedience from God, it, it deserves God's wrath. God is holy and just. Just as a, a judge in a court, if a trial came and came before a judge and, and it was obvious that the individual cre that he murdered, you know, they, they have the motive, they have the weapon, they have the witnesses, everything points that, that, that this crime was committed. Could you imagine the outcry? If the judge looked and said, I think he's a pretty good guy. He was having a bad day. Let's let him go. We would, we would take to the streets. That's not justice. Right? Well, imagine God who is holy and just. God who has set his law. God who we have disobeyed. God who has, has given us the law, he's given us life, he's given us breath, he's given us everything, and we have not lived in a way to glorify and honor him. And if we're honest, we've sinned and a lot of times we've known it. Our conscience is there. Many of you have been brought up under the teachings of Christ. You know what's sin and what's not sin. And yet our culture wants to tell us, it's okay, 
it's, okay. it's not that bad. It's bad. Sin leads to death. Physical death and spiritual death. And our sins are the reason why Christ went to the cross. Our, our sins are the reason why Christ had to die. And you see, so here is the bad news. The, the bad news is that we are all sinners. But the good news is that Jesus is the Redeemer. Amen? That, that Jesus is the Redeemer. Look at verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers... But what God foretold by the prophets is that Christ would suffer, and this has been fulfilled. Christ had to suffer. He had to go to the cross. And the same is true for you today. Perhaps you have lived in disobedience to God. You have lived without acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. And perhaps it's been in ignorance. Perhaps you, you didn't really understand. Perhaps you haven't heard the gospel. Well, I'm not going to give you a reason to have that excuse any longer. Because that's what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to, to call people, to, to show forth who Jesus is. And to urge them to trust in Christ. He is your Savior. He is the Redeemer. Hey, could you imagine how awful a person I'd be if I saw a car just coming at you and you didn't see it? You had headphones on and looking at your phone. You're like these guys crossing south street as i'm walking to, as i'm driving down it so often right you you have no clue that that you're about to just get nailed it, could you imagine if i said hey look out that you'd turn around and say you jerk <laughs> right that's what the preaching of the gospel is is to clearly present to you who christ is and why you should follow christ that you too might know him as redeemer and savior the reality of it is this, Christ didn't make, come to make your life more comfortable. In fact, following him might make your life difficult. Christ came to shed his blood on your behalf that you might receive his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin that you might become the righteousness of God. That when you trust in him, this incredible exchange happens. Your guilt for his righteousness. What an amazing thing that it is. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Redeemer. And here's the great part. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Savior. Not only is Jesus to be acknowledged as Lord. Not only did Jesus come to save. But the, the great news is, he can save you. You see, Jesus didn't come to save a certain type of person. He didn't come to save a, a, a certain race of person. He didn't come just to save a certain age that people lived in. No, Jesus Christ is, is Lord of all, and the sacrifice that he made on the cross is sufficient for all, and that all who would come to him in faith and repentance will be saved. That's the great news. See, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Redeemer, he's, he's made available to, be sal to have salvation, and he saves. Jesus is Savior. So the question is, how do you connect with this? The question is, is, is you might say, Pastor, 
I have come to realize that Jesus is Lord. I, I, I want to follow Jesus. I, I've come to realize that he paid for sin. But how does that apply to me? How do I take hold of that? How do I enter into that? How do I become a Christian? How do I have my sins forgiven? How do I follow Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's a wonderful question. Peter tells us here in this sermon as well. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, chapter 3. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Peter tells them that God sent his servant Jesus, verse 26, he, was, he sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So here's God's gracious offer. Here's the, the gracious offer that Jesus is not only Lord to be acknowledged, he's not only Redeemer who made possible salvation, but you can be saved. And it's simple. It really is simple. Repent. Trust in Christ, believe. Turn from yourself. Repent means to turn around, to turn from something to something. Turn from yourself. Turn from your wickedness. Turn from uh, the disobedience of God in your life. Turn from the things that are holding you back from God. Turn from your selfishness. Turn from your, your sensual pursuits. Turn from your, your pursuit of riches and power. Turn from those things that would hold you from following Jesus. Believe that he is Lord. Believe in all that we said that he did, of, of, of who the Bible claims that he is. And acknowledge him as Lord and place yourself under his kingdom. That, that, that's what it is. What an amazing thing that, that, that your guilt, your sin, whatever it might be, however tall you've stacked it, is forgiven wholly and completely through trusting in Jesus Christ. You don't work it off. You, you, you don't pay it off. There's nothing you can do. Jesus did it all. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That's the question that I have for you. Why follow the risen Christ? Why follow him? Because you have realized that he is Lord, that he is Redeemer, and that he is your Savior. Friends, as we close, I, I want to make a couple of challenges. In a room, in a crowd this size, there are individuals from at different places in their life, at different places in their walk in faith. I realize that. For some of you, you've followed Christ for many years. How do you respond to this? Well, you respond in thankfulness. Perhaps there's something in your life that you know you need to repent of and continue to trust in Jesus. The Bible tells us that if we uh, repent of our sins, that he is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that as Christians, we come to Jesus one time in repentance, but we also come continually confessing our, Christ, or confessing our sins and following him. Perhaps you're here today and you know the Lord, but you haven't really been walking with him. You, you know that you're saved, but things have happened. Hard times have come. You've been distracted. And you know today that that you really need to trust him as Lord. You, you know today that, that the resurrected Lord is the one that you need to follow. Would you repent of your sins and trust him? He'll receive you. He'll forgive you. Commit to, to following him. Whatever it is in your life that's holding you back. 
Whatever it is that's kept you from from following the Lord today, would you hand it over to him and say, "I, I, I remove this from me so that I can follow you. And the third group here today is individuals who've never trusted in Christ as their Savior. Perhaps at one time you did, you, you made a motion, but you know it wasn't true. You know you didn't genuinely believe, but today you know that you must trust in Christ. You know that you must ask for repentance and, and forgiveness and, and come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to have a, an opportunity here in, in a moment that you could pray and, and you could repent of your sins and, and trust Christ where you are. Perhaps you want to come and talk with me. I, I can lead you through what that means. Perhaps you want to sit down and meet and you have more questions. I'd, I'd love to be able to do that. Whatever it is, today would you give your life to Christ? Would you follow him? Would you would you recognize him as Lord and say, I not only recognize you as Lord, I want to recognize you as my Lord. And repent of your sins and trust in you to be your disciple. What a wonderful thing it is that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Redeemer, and Jesus is Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Father.